This is Bibliovile, a terrible book exchange podcast where a man and his wife get each other the best books they can find. For this episode of Bibliovile, Susan read All Quiet on the Western Front by Eric Maria Remarque and Mick read The Lives of Locke Lamora by Scott Lynch. Just in the same as ring a ling bing 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 a ling bing. Welcome to Bibliovile, the special holiday edition. This is Mick Dickinson. That's my name. In case you couldn't tell, we have transitioned away from our daytime coffee fueled recordings and into our nighttime wine-fueled recordings. And my name is Susan Dickinson, and I just polished off some hot chocolate with Baileys in it, because my husband is a genius. That was supposed to last us the whole episode, but I'm into it. Uh, For this special edition, that's right, (laughs) hashtag special edition of hashtag Bibliovile is hashtag good book exchange, terrific book exchange. Uh, We got each other an extra Christmas present. Because our Christmas presents uh, are either known to us or cannot be bought before the holidays. So we <laughs> thought one special thing uh, more to go, and that is getting each other one of the better books that we know of and getting each other uh, some actual holiday pleasure. Now, if you've never listened to the podcast before, typically this is the Terrible Book Exchange podcast. So Mick and I typically go to the Iowa City Public Library. We pick out the worst books we can find. We swap. And then each has to read the terrible book that the other has picked out. But, as Mick alluded to, we got each other good books this time. And it was such a breath of fresh air. It was absolutely fantastic. I remembered, oh, wait a minute. Books are good, actually. Mick finished his book in, like, three days. Normally, the terrible books, he, he will get through three quarters of them in three days. And then just ignore it for a week because he hates the written word. Yeah, we usually go to the Iowa City Public Library. This time, Susan already had my book, uh, The Lies of Locke Lamora, on her Kindle. And as such, I will not be doing any quoting because it is very hard to find a specific passage or quote on a Kindle. And I stole a book from the high school that I work at uh, to bring her all quiet on the Western Front. If she looks very closely, it has a number on the top so we know which one she checked out. On the Um... top. Or bottom. Oh, it does indeed. I'm number 12. I, I really wish that it would have been number 69. That would have been nice. nice. Uh, but in all in all, I hope you guys are having a fantastic holidays or uh, are having a mildly safe, at the very least, uh, time traveling to your holidays. I know that this comes out on Thursday, the 22nd. So this is my first day off of school. Uh, I will be sleeping in and then doing approximately nothing all day long. It's going to be lovely. On Saturday, we uh, begin our uh, Hanukkah celebrations. And then the very next day, which seems late to me, I don't know a lot about the Jewish calendar, uh, but uh, the very next day is Christmas, so that should be pretty fun. And then finally, I'm going in for a very special workout the day after Christmas. What's your special workout, man? Well, I mean, it's right there in the name. It's Boxing Day. <gasps> oh. So i got to put the gloves on and... <laughs> definitely didn't tell that joke to Susan before the game. Definitely not. No, podcast. Definitely not. This is a game to me. <laughs> so uh, the the book that I read 
for this episode was All Quiet on the Western Front. Hilarious book. Nick, can you tell me a little bit about why you chose this book? This was our special good books episode. What is it about this book that you liked so much that you wanted me to read it for the podcast? Well, uh, number one, which I, if I'm being completely honest, I was teaching it during my classes when I came up with this idea. And so I had had a handle on it. I only read it about eight years ago, or eight years, eight months ago uh, when I was long-term subbing. I had a lot of time on my hands, uh, so I finally got a chance to read it, and what really stood out to me was not so much the plot, which is like, it's good, don't get me wrong, but there's no real spoilers to be had in All Quiet on the Western Front. It's about World War One, and a lot of people die, because that's World War I, uh, but it's in the tiny little, the throwaway lines that you really find the beauty of All Quiet on the Western Front, and frankly, what are we in right now? 2016? Mm-hmm. We are still within the 100-year anniversary of World War I uh, going on. Uh, in 1916, at this time, we had devolved into, I believe, Verdun. Uh, some of the battles that he had run into, I believe he, this, uh, book takes place in the Somme, uh, were going on. And so I just wanted to get, like, a, uh, a beautiful book that I did not, like, I, I love you, and I love the books that you read. I did not think that this was a type of book that you would pick up. Probably uh, not, no. <laughs> yeah, and so I wanted to, I, like, you read Stephen King books, which are some of my favorite off the shelf, and... I didn't want to hoist too many, like, nonfiction books on you, so I went with this kind of, like, mix, because the era, Eric Maria Remarque, uh was a German soldier during the war, and so I, uh, this is a really weird mix of fiction and nonfiction, because it's something that he very definitely experienced, but uh, is fake. These people aren't real. This book... I felt like throughout reading this book, I got punched in the gut at least... 24 different times one for every hour of the day one for every hour of the day um it was like i simultaneously wanted to stop reading it because it hurt a lot and then wanted to keep reading it forever because it is beautiful which is like for books that we read for this podcast that's (laughs) definitely a new experience okay i have to ask uh so paul the main character since i've read it i already know paul is the main character uh what animal does he shift into That's the best part, I think, about All Quiet on the Western Front, is that not a single human being shifts into anything else. Wait, 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 wait. That's allowed in fiction to not have some sort of shifting? It is. And, Mick, this is is crazy. This is going to rock your socks. Okay. There's no council. What? No. There's no Weimar council sitting back in Germany? That's a history joke. There is, but there's also no, there's no where, there's no where cat council because there's no where cats because they're not real. Vire cat. Wo ist eine Katzen? Oh yes, the Vire Katzen council. Is that, Duh. is that, is that a good actually, approximation actually, of German? I believe it's, I believe it is neutral, so be D Katzen council. Oh, sorry. My, I actually never, my conjugations are a little I off. never bothered to learn the, the gender of... Uh, This is why I had you learn German for a honeymoon instead of trying to learn any myself. Yeah, plus you only speak pretty languages. That's true. Only the romantic ones. Yeah. So anyway, about this book about death and war. I know. um, I I opened this up. We we decided we were going to start our books a couple nights ago. I opened it up. I'm flipping through. I read the whole, like, the... An international bestseller, like the pull quotes and stuff, and I'm flipping through. Third page of the book is the dedication. The dedication is an instant punch to the gut. Yep, I made my kids read it. 
Um, this book is to be neither an accusation nor a confession, and least of all an adventure. For death is not an adventure to those who stand face to face with it. It will try simply to tell of a generation of men who, even though they may have escaped shells, were destroyed by the war. So I think I actually had to put the book down at that point and just look at Nick and be like, what have you gotten me into? This... <laughs> like, that was poignant and beautiful. And I kind of want to cry and I haven't even hit the actual first page of the actual book. It's emblematic of the whole whole book uh, at once, that one paragraph on page three, because the most amazing thing about All Quiet on the Western Front is, like I said, the throwaway lines. But if you go back and read literature from before World War One. War is this amazing, adventurous, manly, uh, mm-hmm. camaraderie type thing that everyone should go through or else you're not a real kind of macho guy. And so getting coming out of World War One and seeing novels like this, this is written by a German, like I said, and it's sold all over the world because every single nation, uh, especially European nations that fought mainly in World War I, uh, can see their experiences reflected in this where war... Like, it's just the most disillusionment that happens to a generation of men on a global scale. And this book is representative of the whole phenomenon. And that's why I love it, is because it's not only beautiful and well-written and amazing, but it's historically and literarily relevant Mm -hmm. in terms of how mankind thinks. Yeah, and I think one of the coolest things about it was that the imagery that it gave you of war, like it... I think when you read war books, you tend to get a lot of the action and the glory. Like, it's all very glorified. You get key scenes. This book gives you a lot of the day-to-day. Like, yeah. there are whole paragraphs about, like... Oh, my favorite. Um, Mick's favorite paragraph, I'll let you talk about it because I know you love it, about, like, pooping. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. in the very beginning, they're like, it starts and then... Every, uh, you, you read the dang thing. I did. It's about the pooping. It's about the pooping. So, it starts... Like, with them being hardened soldiers already. Yeah. And then kind of flashes back. But the the way they show them being hardened soldiers is that they're sitting around in a circle in a field on these, like, mobile uh, toilet type things. Like yeah, you, these you, little, like, toilet chairs. Yeah, you crap in a box. And they're just, like, sitting around sh- quite literally shooting the shit with yeah. each other. Uh, because they're such hardened soldiers and are so numb to it all now. And so that's one of my favorite ones is because it's still recognizable as what you know as about soldiers. Yeah. Because, like, you, a guy will come home from Afghanistan or Iraq and, you know, you'll you'll talk to him. And if he's recently come home, he can't stop swearing and yeah. making shit jokes and everything. And so it's it, I love that even a different country and even a hundred years ago, this, a soldier's life was still extraordinarily similar to the ones uh, we hear about. Because neither of us have served. No. Uh, but the ones we hear about uh, today. And there, I mean, there are paragraphs about things they did to pass the boredom. There are half chapters about dealing with the rats i mean there's like it's just a whole lot of you know day-to-day things there's a a line in one of the first chapters about how um in like it's it's really sad the build-up to it like their company started with 150 people and now they're down to 32 and so they're they're sort of trying to deal with that like they lost all of these people but the, the main thing that they can focus on is that they get triple rations. And so the one guy is like, dude, I've got 40 cigarettes. That's going to get me through a day. Like, it, I mean, it's just this this description of, like, chain smoking and hanging out with your 
your comrades, like the the people that you have become a soldier with. And mm-hmm. my favorite line yeah. about the the rations is that uh, he the cook for the company is like, I was ordered to bring these rations for Company D or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and you guys aren't like there's only 32 of you. They're supposed to serve 150. And the soldiers say, you came to give these to Company D. This is all of Company D now. Give us the food. And they, like, nearly beat him up until uh, he finally gives up and gives him the food. And it's, like, it's... It just gives you pause for a moment because it makes you think of what that would actually be like. And, I don't know, it just paints a really realistic picture of it, which I, I think was the first thing that struck me about it. And those are some pretty light things. I mean, the cigarettes, yeah. the rations, stuff like that. But then it also gives, I think, a really realistic picture of when new recruits come to the front. So these, you know, 17, 18-year-old kids who haven't really experienced anything yet. And the main character, Paul, and his group of friends who he's been with from the beginning, like, they've been, I think at that point, they've been around for, like, a year and a half or so. And so they're the, you know, they're the hardened soldiers. And so, you know, dealing with these recruits who are brand new and who are just terrified. And so in one of the first chapters, there's this new recruit who, like, during his first bombardment that he experiences, he gets super claustrophobic. He tries to climb out of the dugout and they're all, like, basically trying to to get him to calm down. And just the, the, I don't know, just the way that it's described, the way it's talked about just seems really realistic mm-hmm. and it's it it's not it's not a glory moment no it's not embellished at all no no and then i think one of the things that one of the things that almost made me cry in the beginning was after a a, a bombardment they could hear a soldier calling for them mm-hmm. like they could hear him yelling and and, and trying to get them to, to come find him he had been injured they he needed help and they searched and they searched and they searched and they couldn't find him like because of the the geography of and the, like the lay of the land, like his voice kept getting thrown around, they couldn't figure out where he was, mm-hmm. and so they listened to this guy for two days and they searched for him and they couldn't find him, and so they just had to listen to this guy from their company call out and call out and call out for them, and then eventually they had to listen to him die because they couldn't find him, and it was just these like super heartbreaking moments that you don't ever read about in your classic war novel like you don't you don't hear as much about the sad stuff and the hopeless moments so like i can't do anything i'm yeah. listening to this person and i want to help him and i can't yeah yeah i i i love that you brought up the fact that they're getting all these new recruits these fresh faced uh 17 and 18 year olds when paul and his friends joined the war at 18 yeah in 1914 when the war starts and by the time that they are 19, they are they describe themselves as, like, old men and, yeah. like, hammered and bitter to the world. And I want to read a passage because it's my favorite passage. This comes from near the end of the book, but like we said, it's not really a plot-based book. Mm-mm. Like, the war goes on and he suffers through it. That, uh, I am young. I am 20 years old, yet I know nothing of life but despair, death, fear, and fatuous superficial- superficiality cast over an abyss of sorrow. Yeah. And especially, I love the, it compared against the, the beginning, or the uh, flashbacks of Paul, when he's listening to his, uh, like, school teacher talk about how war makes patriots out of men, and it's everyone's duty to go. And it just so happens that uh, his generation fought in World War One, 
his teacher's generation didn't fight in a war, and the generation before that fought in the Franco-Prussian War, which is a completely dominating victory for Prussia and Germany later. And so it's the guy who did not fight in war that's telling all these young guys that they have to enlist. The historical background to this novel makes it all the better, I think. Yeah. And I, that's one of the other things that I really, I think, kind of found as a main theme in the book was that there's all these young, young guys. I mean, 17, 18 through mid-20s-year-old men who are fighting in this war. And they're, I mean, they talk a lot about trying to find a purpose to it mm-hmm. because it's cool. a it's a Good war luck. that's been started by people that they've never seen in cities that they've never been to for reasons, for reasons they don't understand and so they they talk quite a bit about how like i mean essentially like this war has nothing to do with them they're fighting it for for people whose problems and ideals have nothing to do with their lives and one like a, a line from this book that just stopped me cold was, it is very queer that the unhappiness of the world is so often brought on by small men. <laughs> That's and what I'm I, talking about. Oh my gosh, that just that just killed me. And I mean, it, it gets brought up over and over and over again. Throughout the book, they talk about how, um, you know, at, at the beginning of the war, the wisest were the poor and simple people. They knew the war was to be a misfortune Whereas those who were better off and should have been able to see more clearly what the consequences could have been were beside themselves with joy. So when this when war was declared, they were sort of, I guess, tricked into thinking that like, hey, this is a good thing. This is going to be great for our country. This is going to be great for you. It's your duty. It should be your joy to serve. Oh, yeah. And then they wound up in this terrible pointless war that they felt had nothing to do with them yeah uh there's actually a phenomenon in europe during when war breaks out and it's war as celebration because there's there's newspaper articles from the time where they go interview university students from Mm -hmm. like 19 i think it's in the 19 aughts so it's not quite into the teens yet but french university students are talking about we don't have a a reason in our lives to feel heroic and the only thing that can bring that feeling is war so we want a war and we need it, and it's it's the only thing that can make us feel complete. And then you run into this war, and everyone celebrates when it breaks out. And then it's just And terrible. then it just keeps going forever, and it just, it oh, yeah. just brings horrible destruction. Um, there was one part that I really liked when two characters are talking about how the war, like if in their ideal world, how the war would have played out. Yeah. And so they're, they're talking about how... Um, you know, in, in their mind, it should be the, like, the leaders of their country should be fighting this war. It should be the two leaders, and that's it. They're fighting a fight to the death between the leaders of the countries. They're having it out amongst themselves. And then this is the quote, that would be much simpler and more just than this arrangement where the wrong people do the fighting. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that was that was another big thing too. Like it was, you know, it was these people who are, they're, they're farmers, they're college students, they're postmen and they're fighting this war and they don't really feel like there's a purpose to it at all. Well, here's the fun fact. Uh, There wasn't. World War One, if it hadn't been for the millions of deaths and everything, would be hilarious because it's an absolutely team effort to start this war Mm. there's no reason for it to happen 
Yeah. And so uh, the, my favorite thing is that the the uh, leaders of the t the main two sides would be Kaiser Wilhelm the uh, first for Germany, and then the King of England uh, were cousins. They like met and hung out during the GD War. Seriously? Yeah, because they were like of the same basic dynasty and everything. They were, everyone in Europe was kind of arranged by marriage in the leadership, and then it fell to the common people of these countries to fight in this pointless, like, not even the usual type of pointless war. Yeah. An especially pointless type of war. This is the most especially pointless war there is. And I think there is often, if not always, a huge disconnect between people in power and the quote-unquote common man. But I feel like in this instance, that was especially true. Like, oh, yeah. people in power had no idea what soldiers were going through. The soldiers who were going through it had no idea what the purpose of it was. There wasn't one. There wasn't one. One of my favorite things is how this is portrayed through the plot. Do you remember the, the one main charge scene yeah where it's like just god awful about the french coming through and mm -hmm. like mowing them down with machine gun fire and then they finally get to the trench and there's this hand-to-hand -hand fighting and then they throw them back off and so the german command is like well you, they're out of their trench and so we've got to go charge them across no man's land and they get pushed back a couple of trenches and then make it back a couple of trenches go into the french district or like area a couple of trenches and then get pushed back to their original one so, so it ends exactly where they started. It ends exactly where it started after hundreds of men, possibly even thousands of men, have died in these useless, terrible tactics of war. I think my favorite part about the book was that from the perspective of Paul, the main character, and his, his friends, the people that are in the army with him, like, there isn't really an enemy yeah. in the war. Like, I think... I think yeah. I think war books can take a couple different, couple different um, paths. Uh, yeah, paths with with who the enemy is, and I think like clearly the most obvious is the enemy is the person that you're fighting. And towards the beginning, um, Paul encounters a couple of Russian POWs. Um, so there there are some Russian prisoners that he is is sort of in charge of. He's, he's supposed to bring them like not supplies but like food and things. And the the discussion of his thought processes while he is interacting with these POWs is yeah. really interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, like he goes through these like periods of contempt for them and and talks about how they like their lives must be so different than his. But he really kind of settles back into these musings that like they don't look any different than the people that he knows back home. They, their lives are probably very similar to his own life and his family's lives. And then he thinks a lot about how, like, his enemies are sort of defined and picked out by people millions of miles away. Not millions, but hundreds of miles away that are pushing around pieces of paper yeah. having to do with things that he doesn't understand. And that could change at any minute. Like, if those, if those paper-pushing men changed their minds these russian prisoners that he is supposed to feel contempt for could wind up being his allies or his friends mm -hmm. and so like that was super interesting too so like to him that was not the enemy yeah and then there was another scene i think it was in that that main battle scene that you were just talking about it was a little bit later i was just reading after it because i wanted to make sure we got to it because it's mm -hmm. my favorite it's my third favorite part of the book yeah so in one of the do you call them battles, I guess? 
Uh, yeah, skirmishes. Skirmishes. So Paul is on patrol, and he winds up having to hide in this like shell hole crater. Yeah, yeah, and he he can't get back to his fellow soldiers because there's too much gunfire, he, and so he's he's hiding there. Yeah, um, he like he like sticks his helmet up to see if it's Good safe, miming. and his uh <laughs> his helmet gets shot at, so he's like, well, shit, nope. Yeah. Yeah, Can't do that. I'm still here. And while he is waiting for for an opportune time to go back to his fellow soldiers, an enemy soldier winds up in the hole with him, and he 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 stabs him right. Yeah. With a knife. No, he it, it's talked about. It's done automatically. I was yeah. just reading it where it's like he might as well have fell in the hole and then the knife appeared like in his chest that Paul did it so quickly and without thinking. But it doesn't, um, like, it doesn't instantly kill the man. Nope. And so he is just... You'd be French. Yeah. Struggling. This this French soldier is, is struggling and dying for several hours while these two are in the hole together. And he goes through this whole arc of feeling like he just killed this man who he shouldn't have killed because he's no different than Paul himself yeah. and... He tries to help him. He tries to bandage up his wounds. He he pulls the guy's like notepad, his, his pocketbook, out of mm. his his pocket, and um, you know, learns his name, learns his job, his address, and he's like, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna try to send financial support to his wife and children because I feel like I've committed this great wrong. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts about that? I absolutely love it because it's. It like resonates across time in any war that you're in. You're taught to dehumanize the enemy and everything. And so during World War One, the most you would see of an enemy would either be charging on ma- like on mass and like mowing them down with machine gun fire, or seeing them explode with artillery, mm-hmm. or at the very least, like from far away, you might see their head go across a trench. And so for the very first time, Paul is he is stuck one on one with the dude, yeah. and he has to face him down, having just like kill them but not right away and so he has to watch him die which if you ask a lot of uh soldiers would be like a uh, for example in another one of my favorite books that i almost made you read catch 22 the uh, the main character is a bombardier and so he only he gets no actual like uh he does not have to confront the people that he's killing and that's brought up in the book uh but in this book paul is forced to confront the man that he has killed and watch him die uh, while he's stuck in the hole away from his friends and away from the safety net. Yeah. And it was, I don't know, it was just really, it was really intense. And it kind of reinforced that idea, like, to this man, there's not an enemy yeah. that he is after. And then another example, and this one's a little bit more lighthearted. Um, there's a there's a lieutenant, a corporal, I can't remember what his rank is. There's some sort of army leader that Paul and his friends are... They're under this man's leadership during their training. His name is Himmelstoss. Yeah. Is that right? Is that how, how to pronounce it? It might be um, And he, like, this guy's just kind of an asshole. Oh, yeah. And I feel like that is another common theme in war books or war movies is that, like, the, the, asshole, drill the asshole drill sergeant. Yeah, yeah. like, that's, the, that's you and your friends' enemy. Mm-hmm. And so there's this whole line throughout the first half of the book about like, Paul and all his friends just hate this dude. Like, he was such a jerk to them. He would make them do all these terrible things during their training. And then they wind up confronting him again throughout their time towards the front. Mm-hmm. And Himmelstoss 
had been in charge of training recruits. He hadn't been up to the front. Yeah. And so towards the end of that arc with Himmelstoss, there's this part where, like, Himmelstoss is really terrified and he's hiding from the action and he like he's scared and these guys that that Himmelstoss terrorized during training have become more used to it and more accustomed to it and so they're like basically get your ass up and and act like a man. and act like a man and and like that was a really interesting arc too but i think that, that in other war books or war movies that can be played as like you love to see the downfall of this asshole drill sergeant. Yeah. But in this one, it's just like he just becomes another man that's experiencing this with them. Yeah. And it's not like, oh, we are rejoicing that he was afraid. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, they're just experiencing it with him. And it, yeah. like, I, that was one of the things that I really liked about it, that it was a war book without an enemy. Yeah. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So um, it was, yeah. One it, of my favorite things is that. Just the absolute march on of the plot where, like, Paul starts out the book with six or five or six people, like, around him. And they're, some of them, some of them are his schoolmates that he signed up with. Some of mm-hmm. them are, like, his training camp buddies or whatever. And just throughout the book, they, it's not like a horror movie. They don't get picked off one by one. They, they just, just die. Yeah, they suffer the, like, it's war and they die and... One of them get goes to the hospital, and it's very obvious that he's going to die. And so they mm-hmm. argue about who will get to take his boots. Yep. Because they all need boots. And it's just great to see the war go on through Paul's eyes and see Germany starting to lose this war. Like, as Americans show up and as uh, the British and the French uh, start to employ more tanks and more airplanes, you get to see this just hopelessness show up of Paul still being stuck here and having to do his best and somewhat retreating and everyone around him is just falling and it's who it's hilarious it's great material for a comedy podcast oh great but i I will bring up a few lighthearted moments i think really the thing that gets this guy through it is his his friendship with these guys like mick talked about some of them are his schoolmates some of them are the guys he went through training with and I think, like, that friendship is really highlighted. And, and yeah. the relationship, how that relationship is different than any other relationship he has in his life. Like, Paul goes home on leave for a couple weeks. And he has a really hard time relating to his siblings and his neighbors and his mom. Because they haven't been through what he's been through. And he, he keeps talking about how he, he just feels the need to get back with these friends. Yeah. Because they understand him. And the the friendship between them is portrayed really beautifully. And I think that's something that also gets lost in some war books. Because there's always the toxic masculinity yeah. about... Nice tits. Yeah. Like, you can't, you can't have love or tenderness or compassion for another man. Yeah. Um, but in this book, you it's can. It's just your bros you joke with. And the way that he talks about them... I'm going to read... This is a longer quote, and I'm going to read it because it's beautiful... I am no longer a shuddering speck of existence alone in the darkness. I belong to them and they to me. We all share the same fear and the same life. We are nearer than lovers in a simpler, a harder way. I could bury my face in them, in these voices, these words that have saved me and will stand by me. Like, that's a really beautiful way to talk about people that you've experienced this with. And that's something that I really appreciated about this book is that it just owned that. Mm -hmm. And then also, like... There are some more lighthearted things, like there are some some happy moments, I yeah. guess you well, could call yeah. it. Um, I think like one of the things that I I think 
exemplifies it the best. So Paul winds up in the hospital at Multiple one point. Times. Um and in in one of the scenes where he's in the hospital, he's sharing a room with like eight other guys. Yeah. So there's a a bunch of guys. One of them is one of his school buddies that he's with and you know, you're you're in your bed, you can't move. You've you've gone through this similar experience. You've been injured in the war. So they really bond. They become very yeah. very close with each other. And at one point, one of the men gets a visit from his wife and his child. And he's been, like, looking forward to for it. He's been looking forward to it for weeks. Um, and he, like, gets really nervous about his wife coming. And all of and these guys... All, buddy. These guys are all, like, dude, you haven't seen your wife in two years. Do you, do you all want some, like, time together, basically? And... They all essentially conspire to help this guy have sex with his wife in the hospital. It's pretty great. It's amazing. And they, like, all dutifully look away. Yeah, and they, like, play a really get loud game of cards. And they, and like, they prop out. him They prop him up with pillows because he can only lay on his side. And, like, one of them holds the baby and is, like, really awkward with the baby. But he just, <laughs> he just goes with it to give this guy his time. And, um, like, there are, there are moments like that where... I think you start to really understand like the relationship that these people have with each other and have mm-hmm. developed with each other. And that is really cool. But like, I mean, the it's a book about world war one. It's going to be sad. And the end just about crushed me. Oh yeah. Because well, no, I want to give you guys a good impression oh from this. From my end. I'm sitting there reading my book, which I will talk about in a hot second. And Susan just puts the book down. I hear, I go, you don't, or I didn't even have a chance to say it. Cause I heard the book go down and I looked at it. And she just goes, Woof. Yeah. And I said, oh, you must have finished it. Yep. Because I knew exactly so, what it was. So you read... Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert, in case you haven't yet read this 70-year-old book. Um, 100-year-old book. So... Nyan. In the final chapter, you hear about the deaths of the final remaining members of Paul's friend group. Like, they are all gone. It is just Paul that is left. And time is going by. He keeps hearing all these rumors about the war is being lost. The war is being lost. There's talks of peace. There's talks of an armistice. But but still, I mean, he's still there. He keeps going. And that's the end of the final chapter. And you turn the page, and there's there are two more paragraphs. Yeah, to read them all. He fell in October 1918 on a day that was so quiet and still on the whole front that the army report confined itself to this single sentence, all quiet on the Western Front. He had fallen forward and lay on the earth as though sleeping. Turning him over, one saw that he could not have suffered long. His face had an expression of calm, as though almost glad the end had come. That's your final paragraph. Your main character that you just spent 12 chapters with has died after watching all of his friends die. And I closed this book... Almost and I looked at Mick, and I said, woof. And Mick said, do you want some context for this? That was in October, October. of 1918. The war ended when, Mick? November of 1918. And in October of 1918, what was in progress between world leaders? Uh, the peace talks for ending the war about when and where to surrender. So, yeah, that whole sense of pointlessness. You betcha. All the way up until the final word. So the, <clears throat> I, I hate to uh, explain symbolism over the top of it, but the whole point of the title, All Quiet on the Western Front, is that one man's death does not matter at all. 
that the the day that the main character who we spent three hundred like spoiler three hundred pages following and learning to really enjoy and uh, like mourn with and celebrate with at the same time and dies and nobody can care. Yeah. And that's been the whole war. All these friends that he cares about tremendously. No one else cares. He does. Their deaths are not the end of the world to anyone else. Yeah. And his, like, and then his death is mourned by no one. Because he was the last of his friend group. Like, it was so sad. It was so sad. But up, up, but up, but I mean, the book was amazing. I would highly, highly recommend reading it. It is it is not a light or happy read by any means, but <laughs> or a listener. Um, I don't know. It was it was beautiful and realistic in a way that no war novel or movie that I've ever read or seen has ever been. Yeah, and it, like World War One is a piece of history that I know I for sure did not have really an education about. I I, I don't think that's uncommon to my experience. I nah, think, dog. It's not I an think, American thing. Yeah, I think a lot of American high schools skip over World War One because, yeah, it's not an American thing. It's sometimes talked about in the lead up to World War Two, but mm. we focus on World War Two after America got involved. Oh, and so, I like, I, I mean, this is an important thing to know about, and it's a really good way of learning about it, but Man, yeah, that if, was rough. Yeah, uh, but a good kind of rough. A good kind of rough. Yeah, kind of rough. absolutely. Uh, if we had more time, I would ask you more in-depth questions. But for right now, I want to ask you: Who is the bad guy in World War One? The person who invented machine guns. <laughs> like a uh, oh, there is somebody, but I'm just gonna call him James Q. Machine Gun. Yep, that's the bad guy in World War One, right? Because there was no identifiable villain in the book, and then also from what I know of World War One, there's not—I mean, there's not a good guy or oh, no. a bad guy or a point. Well, yes, exactly, and that's why Americans don't learn a lot about World War One. Usually, is because there is no bad guy. There's no real. This is a fight over type thing. Was there any lesson learned at all? There were a lot of lessons given, and then we learned them after World War II. That sucks. It's the same way the lessons we should have learned from the Korean War, it takes until the Vietnam War to actually learn. Because the the whole thing about involvement versus, uh, oh, I don't know, just war sucks. Yeah, this is why history is important, though, friends. Yeah, and this is why I wrote a Smash Mouth. Uh, parody about World War One. You can find that on the blog too. If you're interested. <laughs> yeah. So as as moving and informational as, as that was, yeah. I was gonna say as all quiet on the Western Front was. Uh-huh. This is a Christmas episode of a comedy podcast, and well, not a Christmas episode, a holiday celebration episode of a Candle comedy lines. podcast. So I kind of feel like we should do something that's a little, like, happy or funny or not entirely about death and destruction. Well, fine, I guess. So that's why when I found out that I was looking at, or I was reading All Quiet on the Western Front, that is one of the reasons why I chose to not get anything that was literature or that was about war. 
Um, I had a list of like 12 books that I was choosing from for Mick to read. I also have kind of a complex about choosing things for Mick to read because there are books that I have recommended for a very long time that Mick has not read yet. And then when he does read books that I have recommended for a very long time, he's like, it was good. I liked it. And that's all that I hear about it. And it makes me kind of sad. (laughs) Well, So, so, okay, let's go down the list of things now here. I recommended you Death and Destruction and Sadness Poetry. Uh, and I don't appreciate your recommendations enough. And that I... I'm not trying to say you're a bad dude. I'm just saying that you don't like things that are popular. And so... I just don't like things that I don't find. That's fair. That's fair. But you did read a book that you did not find because I recommended it true. to you. Well, yeah, I do that every week. And Two weeks. this particular book was called The Lies of Locke Lamora. And I read this book about a year ago. I think it was actually almost exactly a year ago. It was right before the new year last year. It was recommended to me by loyal listener Michelle Johnson. Shout out. Hey, girl, hey. She texted me the word shout out for her shout out. She also happens to be my sister, and that's where I get about 85% of my book recommendations. Oh, the sister thing makes sense now. I didn't put that together. Yeah, that's why we always hang out with her on holidays, and we go see her for her birthday. I, I get And why you used to have the same last name. We did, indeed. So, Michelle recommended this book to me. It's called The Lies of Locke Lamora. And when I initially heard the title, I thought Locke Lamora meant something about, like, a Scottish lake. I did, too! Um, <laughs> so, I thought there was something lying in the lake. Like, I thought it was going to be a lake monster book. Well, I knew it was a person who was lying, but I thought his name was L-A-C-H Lamora <laughs> instead of L-O-C-K-E. Yeah, so it's The Lies of L-O-C-K-E, Lamora. Um, and it's a great book. I And I, I had a bunch of books on the list that I was thinking about, and I decided I was just going to recommend something to you that was light and fun because I wanted you to enjoy it, and then maybe I can sucker you into reading the sequels. <laughs> yeah, uh, you were completely right. This is the word I was going to use to describe it before you did, but... It is very most definitely a fun book. Yeah. Like, uh, I read it and throughout the whole thing, you're kind of like, wow, woohoo. And imagine if uh, there were a lot of pages in this book. It was a pretty big book. Yeah. Um, so I would guess conservatively, if it was a real book instead of a Kindle book, it would top somewhere out around 500, 600 pages. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Uh, imagine if like 350 of those pages were like Dukes of Hazard, Dukes of Hazard freeze frame. I wonder how those Lamora boys are going to get out of this one. <laughs> and it's so like uh, you just kind of live to see what trickery and fortitude the main character is going to show. Because the whole plot of the book is that we follow around Locke Lamora and his gentleman bastards of misfits in this. I would put it as it seemed to me at the beginning to be low and then it trended towards high, like 65% fantasy Yeah. Uh, uh, by the end, which I'll talk about, but... Uh, in this like fantasy world of it's basically Robert Redford's The Sting in fantasy world like the uh, Locke Lamora is a con man less than a thief and so the main or the beginning of the book sees him doing this big old uh, confidence scheme that's what I was looking for scheme against these nobles in this like coastal Venice but yet Spanish style town there's that's another cool thing about this book is that there's a lot of influences in it. Yeah. Like, all of the names and the words are Spanish, and the cuisine and, like, the culture seems, from what I know, to be Spanish. But the town reminds me more of Venice because everyone's on boats and everything, and there's dukes. 
I once described it to someone as Ocean's Eleven meets Robin Hood set in King's Landing. <laughs> yeah, pretty close. Uh, yeah, it's like a, a bunch of guys dressing up in, co- like, I know this sounds dumb, but a bunch of guys dressing up in costumes and pulling off elaborate acting heists and uh, confidence schemes to trick people instead of, like, picking just their pockets. Uh, so it was a lot of fun because the, the stakes escalate and uh, mob bosses start getting, like, uh, fighting. And this is, we're actually not going to go into the spoiling because... I can recommend All Quiet on the Western Front, and Susan can as well, having told you everything about it. like From the dedication to the final chapter. Yeah. you. It is not... The actual plot arc of Paul Bomber uh, is not uh, the main focus of All Quiet on the Western Front. What makes it good? What makes it good is the writing, and you have to read it to enjoy the writing. The plot of Lies of Lock the Moor is what makes it fun, and it's the, the twists and turns along the way. And so I recommend it right now, and because I recommend you read this book, I'm not going to tell you everything about it. Uh, for the most part, it's, like I said, extraordinarily fun. You get to see... You remember when we went to go see The Martian? I do, yeah. And uh, Matt Damon, and it's just... It's Matt Damon being competent at things for two mm-hmm. hours and, like, figuring out solutions to problems. It This book is a lot like that, where Locke Lamora, this uh, kind of orphan-from-the-streets archetype thief... Uh, figures out how to scam people and gets out of tough scrapes and tight spots. And it's it's pretty fun to watch him lie his way out of things or trick his way out of things. Uh, and then also, just like in The Martian or other types of uh, entertainment that I enjoy, get the absolute shit beaten out of him yeah. on, on numerous times. And so I, I don't like it when people are Superman, when James Bond goes through and beats 15 people up and doesn't even have a black eye, you know. It's a little annoying, and so it's it's good to see that they're suffering, yet still manage to like go on. He's a problem solver. Like I think that's one of the. He's things also that a problem I, creator. Which that's is pretty, true. Yeah, and like that's what is really entertaining and like makes you want to keep going about the book is that you're like, what is this dude gonna f up now, and how is he gonna <laughs> yeah. solve the problem that he creates for himself? Because I feel like there are a lot of times that it all happens in ways that you don't expect. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah. Um, the, we are running a little short on time, uh, for our usual hour long, so I'll, I'll, uh, put this uh, a little bit shorter, but some problems I did have with it are, uh, it started out being very, very low fantasy and just kind of like more, oh, there's alchemy and there's kind of some weird things about this world, but in the most, for the most part, it seems kind of renaissance and there's an ancient race that left these big glass towers, which is a cool world building thing. Uh, but then as the story goes on, it ramps higher and higher into fantasy. And that seemed kind of to, I don't know if, if I had known it was going to go there at the beginning, I might've been okay with it, but it was, it kind of threw me for a loop because these, for the most part are just people, but then I would say about 33% into, or maybe 45. So nothing super spoiling, like, uh, mages and magic starts showing up. And previously you had no idea that that is a real thing in this world. And so, uh, that seems bad and the antagonists seem a little overpowered and overbalanced but that just kind of makes it all the more satisfying when spoiler alert the protagonists as they do in most fun fiction win um so that's good another thing i didn't quite like was in order to show their uh skills at things this book is told in a very much uh like flashbacky kind of way uh though it starts off with lock as a child 
and then it goes up until he's like adopted by his uh, uh what's up so you're an apprentice to a a master a master when he gets to his master and everything and then periodically just before they run into a scrape it'll flash back with how the people learned uh this tools that they will be using to get out of this particular scrape yeah and so that i mean i mean that's good fun writing and everything but it did seem kind of like oh well yeah of course you can have any skills if the author decides you learned about it 12 years ago like you know when you play D D and someone's like well actually i when i was a child on the streets i learned how to uh, impersonate all sorts of people and you know, like this no you can't just invent that for your backstory but all in all i think it was absolutely uh, fantastic and a lot of fun uh, like i said the duke boy's car is flying through the air in a freeze frame and like you're gonna hang on through that commercial break and i think that's what this book does really well is getting you to hang on through the commercial break wait one more oh yeah uh the world building this is a first uh First book in a series. The world building is so good. The world, it's excellent. The world building is excellent and amazing, and at the same time is terrifying, because it just drops you in. It's like, hey, there's all these uh, words. And it's not like Harry Potter, to a certain extent, where someone explains it to Harry, and so they're explaining it to you. This person, and I mean, it's, it's treated very realistically. This person has grown up in this world. Like, that is the world that they live in. Mm-hmm. And so you just kind of have to get things through context. Which makes it all the better, I think, that it's it's scary at first because you are a stranger to this world. The protagonist is not. And so you have to kind of navigate this world through the protagonist's eyes and ears and everything to kind of get a sense of how this world works and what goes on. And it all makes amazing internal logic. And I think that's really awesome because a lot of books that try to have world building just kind of cobble together different ideas and they don't jive with each other. They're like the seventh chord where it just sounds a little bit off you know and this one is just ooh, just a rapturous third and fifth uh like we're playing leonard cohen r.i.p this is me tapping on my heart i think one of my favorite parts about the book is in the flashback scenes and i know you said that sometimes it was a little frustrating for you but I really liked watching these because they're kids in the flashback yeah. scenes they're they're children i think Locke is five or six when he is, yeah, when he first gets there, yeah. adopted into this thieves guild essentially, and hearing the stories and and watching them learn all of these different skills, like in order to develop them into the con men that they become, the leader of this thieves guild teaches them so many different things, and it's this whole education that he gets. Like he learns languages, arithmetic, he learns how to cook, how to set a table, just in case, acting skills, he learns how to dress, he learns about all these different cultures and religions, and it's so he can impersonate anyone. Yeah. He he can create a character out of anyone, but, like, just the education that they get and, like, all the detail that gets put into it is really, it's just fun. It's fun to read. No, yeah, I I agree. I don't want to, I don't want anybody to think that the things I brought up as being uh, less than stellar made it not worth it i think that this is me who always uh sandwiches his comments at the end of students essays uh with the here's what you did well here's what you could do better but all in all great job uh and i know that's supposedly not a good thing but i can't really help it in anything else uh i thought it was really funny to see these people being uh trained how to use a dagger and how to pick a pocket right along the side of 
uh, like one quiz that they get is when should you pull a, a chair out for a lady and yeah. if she's this culture or that one, if it's this time of year, if it's that one. And so it, all these like poor orphan robber boys are like rolling their eyes at all this etiquette. And the master is like, this etiquette is either going to get you murdered or get you rich one day. Yeah. So I thought that was absolutely fantastic. Uh, all in all, it's in it's kind of like the polar opposite of All Quiet on the Western Front where, well, I guess the characters still work really, really well together. Mm-hmm. All the interactions between the friends of the robbers and then the uh, lock to the people that he's scamming work really well and are fun. But the writing of this book is not the focus, and I think that the guy who wrote it would accept that. There are mm-hmm. some pretty, like, it's not bad writing. I don't want you to think that. It's not poetic. Yeah. It's a very, very good, fun novel right yeah like there are not individual lines that you're gonna pick out and you're gonna be like this really spoke to me but like you're you can read this book so fast yeah and and enjoy it so much i like i hate this i hate this cliche but i was sitting on the edge of my seat uh i like have a very comfortable couch and there were several times when i de-reclined myself because i got to a particularly exciting part in this book uh, the plot of this book and the way the arc goes and the stories and the different uh, strings of twine get woven back together again uh, work really, really well together. And so it's kind of, uh, you're not reading it to be, you're reading it to be entertained for sure. You're not reading it to be inspired. And yeah. I, yeah, you don't yeah. need to be. And so I thought that this was a great choice for Susan to pick because it's it's such an awesome balance to this really sad war book yeah <laughs> one of the reasons one of the other reasons that i picked it for you so mick would you i would say you would agree with the fact that you really like genre stories oh yeah right yeah if they're if they're into it and they're like we're going for this like we are planning on going to see rogue one next week and one of the reasons that mick is super excited about it is because it's a like it's a genre star wars film oh, like yeah. it's a war film set in the star wars universe like that's the thing that you enjoy, like, that you are into that idea. I, yeah, I brought that up multiple times. And one of the things that is really cool about not just this book, but the whole series, it's it's a four-part, the fourth part is yet to be released, I believe. I've read the first three. Um, a four-part series about the Gentleman Bastards, this Thieves Guild, and each of them is sort of a different genre. And really? It's, yeah. Um, so it's all set in the same universe. It's all the same characters, but there's a little bit different of a theme to each one. Huh. Um, so the second one is it's all set aboard ships. It's like a pirate adventure novel. No way. And no, the, it can't be swashbuckling. It so is swashbuckling, oh, and it's so God. fun. You didn't and, tell me it's swashbuckling. And the third, the third one. Is a rom-com. No, the third one is there. Uh, it, it, it's heavily, heavily set in flashbacks. Um, and it's it's a, like a theater genre film. Like it's the 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 gentleman bastards is teenagers, and they are they're Having actors a in a play. Jeez. <laughs> um, and like it all, I know it. Like it sounds campy and cheesy, but it's it kind all, of is campy and cheesy in the best way. A it's campy bit. and cheesy, but it's done so well that you're not like this was a like it's not lame. Yeah, it's like it's a Gruyere instead it's of an American. A, exactly. There, there you go. go. It's some fancy cheese. Um, <laughs> it's really fun, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the third fourth. or the fourth book, the what the sort of theme Sports. is for it, but. Um, I'm thinking that one might be more of like a war novel, but 
It's a it's a lot of fun. Nice, and that's what yeah. we that's what we like to have here at Bibliovals. Fun. <laughs> it, is. it is. I uh, especially wanted you to have some fun to counterbalance the the beauty and the pain of all quiet uh, on the Western Front, and also the Ann Coulter book. I made yes. you watch like four episodes. Ago. You made me watch. Yeah, uh, I, I was wondering you if you would apologize one more time. And frankly, I think yeah. we have now. We're now even. We're, we're I've even apologized enough yes. times yeah. for the Ann I'll, I'll give you that. Okay. Um, but for two weeks from now. Uh, we will be back to our normal terror. Well, not really. It's a. It's once again a special book. It's gonna be episode. lit. We are doing a. I'm, really... I'm sorry, Susan. How old are you? I'm apparently 17, dog. Um, we are doing another slightly special episode. This will be I Just suppose like our, our New special. Year's episode, maybe. Yeah, it'll Something go like out sometime then. Um, and we are doing another couples episode. If you do recall, probably. Six or seven episodes ago, I don't even know. we did a couples episode with mixed brother Matt and his wife, our sister-in-law Meg. Um, we are now doing another Transitioning, M- another M and M couples episode with my sister Michelle and her husband, whose name is also Matt, but who is not mixed brother Matt. They're two separate Matts. Yes, that would get even more confusing. Very confusing. Uh, you may recognize Michelle as the previously shouted out uh, Michelle. So double shout out to you, Michelle. You go, girl. Yeah, but now we, like, because of this double shout out, we will not be saying your name during the episode that we, uh. Yeah, we're gonna have to come up with a pseudonym for you. You have to go, you have to go by someone else. Chamel. Yep, that's it. That's Uh, it. I cannot remember the the book that we are reading or the book that we made them read. And honestly, I think that's probably okay. I think it'll be good if it's a surprise. But suffice it to say, my Amazon recommendations have gone down the toilet. Yup. We had a really fun 30 minutes over Thanksgiving when we were at my parents' house when we each picked out books for the other couple. And it's going to be bad. The book they picked out for us was a Kindle book that is free. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, so there's that um, uh, i believe it's called made to a rock star i don't even remember speaking of free uh this podcast is free it is on soundcloud or itunes you can subscribe there leave a review or actually subscribe tell a friend for once in your gd life get his i just want to be liked by people we did hear a really fun story about one of our loyal listeners who gave us a shout out on reddit I'm going to call him Charles B. And, and encourage... Wait, no, that's too obvious. I'm going to call him C. Barton. <laughs> and encourage some folks on the internet to listen to Bibliophile. So if you have some folks that you talk to on the internet, go ahead. Let them know Freak. about this great podcast. Um, the the uh, accompanying blog posts to our podcast can be found on Mixed Blog, which is opinionsandother.blogspot.com. And those should be going up soon. Yeah, the day this comes up. You can follow us uh, on Twitter. My name is at Dikima, D-I-C-K-I-M-A-A. Susan's is at Susan J. That is S with three U's, S-A-N-J. Uh, I just friended a bunch of my teacher friends on Facebook, and I hope they didn't find this, or at least aren't listening this long. <laughs> um, our intro music is Babe of the Night by the band Elixir off of their album Rampant. So... Go look them up on YouTube. Check that out. Yeah, give them like their 300th view. Uh, I think that is all. I think that will do us for this uh, holiday episode of Bibliovile. Yeah, whatever holidays you happen to celebrate, have some very happy ones. 
Good night, Matt. Good night, Matt.